Yep. Hey, anybody else comes in? All right, so we're going to get our time started uh, with this um, with this little liturgy. So uh, read that first part, part one, first page. Uh, read that to yourself uh, as a prayer to the Lord to get us started. And then we'll do the rest together here in just a minute or two. So if you're just coming in, um, we're starting with this prayer, and you guys can read the first part to yourself, and then we're gonna we're gonna read the part of the leader. I'm gonna go ahead and, and read the part of the leader over you guys. Um, we came across this. There's a book of liturgies called um, Every Moment Holy, and we came across this liturgy and just thought it was really appropriate to share it with you guys. Um, if you didn't have a chance to read it, you take this home and you can read it. But I'm going to read the part of the leader on the next page. O child of God, listen well and be comforted. He has never judged you unfit for any service he has called you to. For it is in Christ's righteousness that he has clothed you. And his measure of greatness has never been your own. If you would pray to do great things for your God, then you must pray such prayers without regard for how he should, they should be answered. Pray them knowing that in his true and holy reckoning, such greatness will most often be expressed in a long practice of humble and sacrificial servanthood, and not in any pursuit promising a rise to power, position, or prestige. His might is most often displayed as the grace that cradles and transcends our brokenness and poverty of spirit. If you would be so broken that the light of his grace might be more visible within you, shining from your chipped seams and shattered fragments, then by all means, make such earnest requests of him and make them with sincerity and without reservation. But if the root of your prayer is rather a desire for a sense of accomplishment, accomplishment and worth, either in your own eyes or in the eyes of others, then it would be better not to pray such prayers at all. Examine well your heart and motives before asking that his greatness be displayed in your life. When he answers, it will not be on your terms. For it is not you that will do any great thing for God, but God laboring in you through you who will greatly accomplish his own good purposes according to the workings of his sovereignty and love. Be liberated now from this burden of believing that anything depends upon you, and so be liberated at last to give yourself to his joyful service and grateful response for the grace he has lavished upon you. Be invested in simple obedience to your king and in long faithfulness to his call, shepherding daily those gifts and tasks and relationships that he's entrusted to you, regardless of the outcomes and appearances. Tend well those things that are before you, however humble they be, and he will lead you in time to other good works he's appointed for you. Whether big or small is of no matter. He attaches no numbers to your service. It is your heart and faithfulness he appraises. And then we're gonna, um, we're gonna do this liturgy together. So do you wanna read, let me read, okay. Is this still your heart's true desire then to do great works for the kingdom of heaven? It is. Though I have not known before even what it meant, I ask now for grace that I might truly and humbly repent of any root of vainglory buried in my former prayers. And I pray also for grace that I might now ask for 
right, in purity of heart, that the good works of God would be manifest in the workings of my heart and life at all times and in all endeavors. Now, child of God, avail yourself of his spirit that you might go and learn to love God and love others, practicing his mercies daily. There is no greater work appointed to you. Hallelujah. Then to this great work of learning to bear his likeness and his light, I commit my life. May he strengthen and encourage you and lead you gently in that way. Go in peace now to do his will. Amen. Amen. To Christ, to Christ be the glory. Thank you all. We're gonna. Marshall's going to start. Do you want to just pray for our time real quick? Yeah, let's pray. Uh, Father, uh, uh, well, whether we like our neighbors or don't like our neighbors, whether our neighbors are like us or not like us, whether we're uh, renters, we own our place, um, uh, Lord, help us to look past uh, those things and uh, take... Uh, your command to take uh, your uh, model of loving our neighbor uh, and um, look past all of that and look to the power that you provide us through your spirit. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Uh, all right, I'm going to start with why it's important uh, to love your neighbor and why it's important for me to love my neighbor. Um, when I think about uh, mission, I usually think about the word mission or missions. Uh, it conjures up for me uh, some, uh, some really distinct memories in my life. Uh, a couple of them were around my senior year of high school, uh, freshman year of college. When my dad took me to Mexico on mission trips, we would uh, mix concrete on the ground. We didn't have, uh, I don't know what's called, a boom, I guess, Jeremy, a boom to get concrete up high. So we mixed it on the ground, poured it in five-gallon buckets, we had a ramp that went up to the roof, and then you dumped out the concrete from your five-gallon bucket. Uh, I worked so hard, I got a fever, and uh, I was doing missions that week. Um, I think about going to Belarus with Nate in 2003. Les Olson today, you know Les? He's wearing a, uh, a uh, shirt with Russian on it. That was the Belarusian team shirt in 03, and I reminded him of that today. I said, you're wearing a 16-year-old sweatshirt, brother. And uh, he goes, and I chose this sweatshirt because it didn't have a year on it. And I was like, but I haven't. So uh, I think about going to Belarus and meeting college students and uh, trying to conversate in English, their second language, my first, obviously. That was doing missions. Um, but what if missions is something uh, way more ordinary and way less heroic than that. What if it is? What if missions is uh, not transplanting yourself from where you are to somewhere else, and it really is where you find yourself? What if missions for me is at 463 Johnson Avenue, Lexington, Kentucky, 40508? That's what it is. Um, but where we find ourselves, where we think about when, what's it going to look like for me to be a neighbor? We've got to be uh, not just aware of our space, but aware of the ideas that are floating around uh, in our neighbors and in us in order to know how to do missions effectively. So I really want to highlight those three things. Uh, the first thing floating around in our heads and in our world is this big thing called secularism. Say secularism. Secularism. secularism uh, you guys have heard this word, but let's just make sure we're on the same page. Secularism uh, is uh, where uh, the, the talk of God... Um, is improper for public discourse. Uh, 
that uh, not only is, uh, so, so faith and uh, the rest of reality needs to be separated. And that's at best, at worst, the talk of faith is to be disregarded completely. So, uh, when you meet an atheist, they are ate up with secularism. All right? Another idea. Pluralism. I have a friend named Jesse uh, who lives downtown. His dad, his dad was diagnosed with uh, a chronic illness. He ended up dying a few months back. And uh, Jesse, talking to him, getting to know him, uh, you know, we really got to know each other because he's in this you know, area of really distinct need with his uh, dad's terminal illness. And uh, as I'm uh, getting to know him and I'm asking about his faith, he's like, man, I, I was like, what do you think about your dad? You know, like, how's he handling all this? He goes, man, I'm just really proud of him. I just, it's unbelievable to see the kind of endurance that he has. And uh, he was like, man, his faith in Jesus really does work for him. And I was like, well, what about for you? He goes, well, that was for him. It's not for me. And that's what pluralism does. Pluralism is, is the thought that there's not absolute truth, that there's multiple ways to the same truth. That's pluralism. This last thing is called globalization. Now, these are all challenges. The first two are kind of anti-gospel. Globalization actually is an opportunity for the gospel. But uh, it is where we find ourselves. It does make mission complicated when we're trying uh, to connect with people of different cultures. Okay? So this is where we are. Uh, and uh, this makes uh, old models of doing church uh, really obsolete. Old ways of doing church is to have an attractional model that we'll have great programs at our church and people will come. We'll have a great uh, preacher who will, who will tell funny stories or who's just a really smooth communicator or who's really, really smart and people are going to come here by the droves. We're going to do music excellently and people will come. Uh, we're going to have creative messaging to the community and then they'll come. That's attractional, doing church attractionally. And in case you're wondering, uh, the PCA is not above board here. You might say, well, that's for like these general evangelical churches out there. I mean, they, they, they do. That, that, they do that kind of stuff. Uh, not really. The PCA just does it in a different form. We're attractional too. But this isn't what's going to reach people who are ate up with secularism, pluralism, and globalization. We can't do church monoculturally anymore. Not our world. Uh, we've got to combat these ideas. And no matter how good your social media campaign is, people are ate up with secularism and pluralism, they ain't going to come to your church. They ain't going to come to mine either. So what are we going to do? Well, we've got to find alternative models. The alternative model is based on Jesus' command to love your neighbor. Only 15% of America is going to come to a church that uses an attractional model. And what we see really, especially in Lexington, is we just see people going from this church to this church. It's the 15% just going back and forth when they change churches. So really, it just gets churches in competition for the 15%. Meanwhile, the 85% is left out there as fruit on the trees for the picking because we're not building relationships. We're not loving our neighbor. Um, and uh, if, if you're wondering, well, gosh, man, this would have been a lot easier. You know, 50 years ago, back in the day, you know, my, my, my parents or my grandparents' generation, they had to worry about this thing. Well, yeah, they had other things to worry about. No culture has ever been any more Christian than any other. So let's enter into Jesus' culture, or the, I mean the, the culture of the New Testament, most of it. Uh, from Acts 13 on, uh, all the epistles 
uh, are, are in the Roman world, in the Gentile world. They're not in the Jewish world. They're not in Jerusalem. And so we learn a lot about how do we do this thing of mission uh, from looking at the Roman culture. And the Roman culture was unlike ours in some ways and like ours in some ways. Um, they didn't necessarily have this stuff going. In fact, they didn't have secularism. They had polytheism. They were highly materialistic. It was a highly sexualized culture. Uh, you might, I mean, yes, sex is a big part in our culture. You see it everywhere. Uh, but uh, first century Rome, when you would go to church, when you would go to worship the gods, uh, you went to the temples and you found a prostitute in order to worship the gods. That's how sexualized their culture was. It was materialistic. It was sexualized. And it was highly, had a lot of inequality going on. They had a tiered culture, class culture. They had, you had the paterfamilias is what it's called. The paterfamilias was kind of like uh, uh, the estate owner. It was kind of the, the, you know, the, uh, uh, the godfather of the estate. It was the oldest man in the household who owned everything. Then you had all his wives. Then you had all the children. And then you had all the slaves. And all the slaves or all the employees, you get employees, then you had slaves. So you really had two classes of workers all on this estate trying to get the job done. And those are, great, those are uh, levels of degree of humanity. Those are levels of degree of persons. You're only true, a true person if you are paterfamilias. And these slaves came from, uh, if they got in debt to the person who owned the estate. You got in debt, you couldn't pay it back, now you're my slave. Rome would have a conquest, take over uh, another uh, nation state nearby, cart all the, uh, all the people who lost back into, uh, back into their nation state, and they became slaves of all the paterfamilias. And when they would come, they'd give them new names. They'd give names like Tertius. You know what Tertius means? Third. That's your new name, Tertius. Third, you're, you have a, means you're the third of the three boys in your family. Quartus. Oh, you were the fourth person who walked in the door after a military conquest. Your name's Quartus. Not a lot of thought given to it. Quintus, fifth. A lot of Tertius, a lot of Quartus, a lot of Quintus going on in first century Rome. And then the gospel comes in, Christianity comes in. This is where the church is growing like crazy. And why does it grow? I think we get a hint in Romans 16, the least preached upon book in the book of Romans. It's the last one. And in Romans 16, all of this is a big list of names. You see men and you see women. You see free, you see slaves. You see people of high class, people of low class. You see Greek names, you see Roman names. All in there in Romans 16. Names matter to Paul. Names matter to the first century church. And then in verse 22, Paul's given all his greetings in verses 1 to 21. And then we read this. I, Tertius, greet you, uh, I, Tertius, the one writing this letter, greet you in the Lord. Now, if you had your devotion there this morning, you probably didn't realize exactly what was going on, and I didn't either. A guy named Andy Crouch uh, in a video called The Greatest Affliction helped me see this. I'll give him credit here. And he said, uh, he said uh, Tertius is a scribe here. He's been writing this whole book of Romans. Paul's sitting there right there next to him. And Paul says, Tertius. I, I know that you kind of think of yourself. You've been undignified in every way imaginable. Everyone just called you third ever since you became a slave. 
but you're a brother. It's your turn. You greet the church. I, Tertius, the one who writes this letter, greet you in the Lord. Names matter. This impersonal world of the, of the first century Roman culture is where Christianity came in, and Christianity brought something personal to an impersonal place. And friends, that's what loving your neighbor is. It's something highly personal. The attractional model of church isn't very personal. It's pretty impersonal. But the more resistant your neighbor, the more resistant our society, the more relational the approach. And that's why loving your neighbor uh, is important. Uh, Jenna's going to walk through uh, some barriers to that um, and some solutions of loving our neighbor. There's a lot more people in here than there were our last group. And I, I had them, I want you all to talk to me. Um, so please. I, I don't do discussion. I'm just reading <laughs> I am. Um, well, and uh, did you introduce us really, really? Yeah. Okay. So we live downtown and we've lived downtown for about three years. And um, uh, we, um, TCPC sent us to plant the downtown congregation. So we've been learning, you know, we've moved a ton before that we, you know, we lived in, We've lived in two other cities, and so, you know, we've experienced, you know, some of the barriers to loving our neighbors. And I will say, like, it's just been huge just just, just knowing people's names. And um, just that just really gives people, you know, a real validity of who they are to, to know their name. And so that's something Marshall's really, really good at, and I'm not. But um, I really – so we're going to talk about what are barriers and, – and he, he mentioned one was globalization um, – barriers to loving our physical neighbors. So whether you live on land or you live, you know, in a neighborhood where everyone has garages and they just pull in to their garage and shut the door and you never see them, you know, there's, there's plenty of them. And, and so I'll, I'm gonna, I want to hear from you guys, but um, globalization, no, mo- what'd mobil- you say? Mobility. Mobility? Yeah. Oh, okay. You want me to write that? Yep. Okay. <laughs> so mobility. So moving around a ton. Um, is there anybody in here who rents? You rent, you rent, you rent. Would you share like what you feel like is a barrier for loving your neighbor, being a renter? Here, do this. Why don't you talk about how mobility was challenging for us okay. in loving our neighbor? Okay, well, he's got one. I mean, yeah, uh, I, mean I don't know if I'm going to be there long term. So yeah. Why yeah. Uh huh. So why bother? Yeah. yeah. Neighbors are not really often outside. Okay. I feel like I, I feel like you kind of talked about that, Jenna, but they're not really like they don't they're not really walking around a ton. Uh huh. And if they were, I would have to make a really concerted effort to go outside while they're outside. Yeah. And that feels a little awkward. So honestly. and that's like apartment <laughs> living. To like go walk up yeah. to them. It's like, it's like it's almost like you're stalking them because you're like. Looking out the window, watching the cars come and go. Oh, do you think it would be weird if I just kind of pop my head out and go, hi? You don't want to be creepy. Yeah. My last group said that too. You want to be friendly, but you don't want to be overly friendly because yeah. you feel like everybody's. So it's kind of like culturally more, we're more just private. You know, people said like privacy, like privacy is, um, is a big one because we all have our privacy fences. You know, our back porch is where we want to hang out. We want to have privacy. We want to have quiet. You know, you, you know, most people tend to have, you know, their private backyard. I was also going to add, um, 
We're in a, in a strip of townhouses, mm -hmm. and all of the houses are connected. Yeah. So we literally have like feet between our doors. Okay. And so when your neighbor pulls in, there's no garages on my house. Okay. So your neighbor pulls in, you can physically see them out of their car and walk into their door. Okay. And you're like five feet away from their door. Okay. And so it is extremely creepy. Okay. It can be. And okay. we've been in the same house a year. Okay. And we had a new neighbor on this side move in, and then we had a neighbor on this side move out. And so the changing... Yeah, so really mobility. transient. You're really yeah. seeing this mobility like, in a rental space. Yeah, um, Another one I had was technology. I don't know if you guys you know, can, can relate to this, but Marshall and I, most nights, when we put our kids to bed, we're you know watching our Netflix series or whatever it is, and so we're just kind of surrounded. We surround ourselves in you know in our own home with technology instead of doing activities that are really connecting us with our neighbors. Like one of our neighbors recently has just started having like game nights on Friday nights, inviting people over, and I've realized this like how often we choose like oh we can't wait to put our kids to bed and get into our Netflix series or whatever it is, but it's like, it just isolates us, you know? So I would say technology and, you know, and isolation, we, we you know, we isolate. Um, uh, can you guys think of another way maybe? Or yes, please. Um, we, we don't rent for homeowners, but we feel a lot younger than the rest of our neighbors, and I think it's, we seem, I don't know, it's hard for us to engage in conversations because I think they, can't relate, maybe. It feels weird loving, loving them when they're like a lot older. Um, Age difference. So it's hard yeah. to find something in common with people yeah. who are in such a different season of life. Okay. I think kind of similarly, uh, my parents live in like a different area of town than I do, and they have invited like our neighbors on the street over to our house. And I mean, I'll just be like really transparent. The neighbors that my parents live by are pretty similar to them. Uh huh. So it seems it feels pretty safe to like invite them. Uh huh. And I live with three girls off of South Broadway. Pretty yep. much everyone on our street rents. And so, I guess kind of like my argument, I, and it, there's there aren't really any like stand on with it, but yeah. my argument is kind of like especially okay, if I open up my house to all these people on my street who you rent know. like feels like it's not very safe and it's very unknown. Yeah. Like if I'm just being really Yeah. Yeah, no, that's it. really good. Well, and somebody in the other groups had skepticism and um, like just suspicion. Like we're all kind of suspicious yeah. of each other. Yes. Schedules. Schedules is a great one. That's a great one. So schedules just vary. So, you know, you might have a neighbor, like my na next door neighbor owns a bar. So she is, sleeps till one o'clock when I'm out with my kids and we're out and about, and then she's out, you know, like sitting on her porch at one o'clock at night or in her hot tub at <laughs> one or two in the morning. <laughs> so, but just various schedules this and awesome. yeah, and busyness, you know, just busy schedules. You think with of any? You think of like vulnerability? Like I think of our neighbors in our that we know, like we know most of the we know the neighbors that live adjacent to our house. And we have lots of superficial conversations of, hey, how are you? Good to see you. How things are going well? Work's doing good. But like, we've lived in our house now for a few years, and it's like, where? How do we get past that to yeah. like, actually build a, a more real, authentic relationship? Yeah, staying surface. Um, somebody in the other group, what did they say about that? About just being oh, yo, 
you're stuck. Like, these are your neighbors. Like, you can't escape. There's no escaping. So, like, if, if you do have something awkward, like, I don't know if you all feel this, but it's like, they're always there. You know, like, they're, they know where you live. Like, they live on your street. This is not an, a, a relationship that you can, like, just you, you get choose, away from. You, you chose your house, not your neighbors. Yeah, you can't really get out of that relationship really easily because they live on your street or they live next to you. So there's a little bit of maybe, like, a, what are you trying to do? Maybe just, like, protect... Maybe like just stay safe. Here, I, I got an, I got a new one. We didn't think about this. Okay. I think I mean for this would be for us for sure and for all for everyone else too. But um, just like I don't know my neighbors because I spend all my time with church people. Yeah. Like. Yeah. So like your time is full already, right? With other people like you, people like you. Um, okay, which is natural, but we're going to talk about that. So those are some barriers. Some other ones that I had, a big one was um, uh, just assumptions and like labeling. Like I, I know there are people on my street, and I'm going to tell a story about one that I've become kind of unexpected friends with, but I just tend to label people like the bar owner or, you know, the single guys across the street or <laughs> You know, just the various people, you start to get to know a little bit about them, and you, can, you don't, may not realize it, you may subconsciously be labeling them, and I'm afraid of how they label me. So I kind of already have these assumptions of when they know I'm a pastor's wife, like what they think of me. And I think that those things really stand in the way of us really having more of a relationship because we just kind of label and then just stick with people that we feel comfortable with that are like us. Um, Okay, so how are we doing on time? Good. Does anybody have any others that they're just burning to share? You don't have to be, you know, really wanting to share it. But so now we're going to talk about. So these are some barriers. I want us to talk about what are some solutions. What are some ways that we can counteract these barriers that we have to really loving our neighbors and and knowing them? Um, what are some solutions? One to the, um, like to the renter, it was like. Um, you know, just because it's short term, you can, you can try to stay put, kind of commit to, you know, an area or a neighborhood. And, um, or even if you're not, if you are renting, maybe you can just say for this quick season, I'm going to actually view this as something important to do is to get to know my neighbors and not just view it as something temporary. And to go maybe seven steps further, um, you know, we've made pretty strong commitment that, like, I'm dying in Lexington. I'm 38. The Lord very well could give me 40 or 50 more years. And unless something crazy happens in my circumstances, I'm committed to dying in Lexington. Now, that's taking it a whole lot further. Uh, but I think a lot of us are way too open to moving uh, because of mobility. And so a solution to mobility is a commitment to place. You know, so, for instance, I had... This only happened one time, and you guys don't need to worry about it, but one church called me one time, and uh, they, they said, hey, you know, and I was offended on a lot of levels because they said, hey, whatever you're making now, time 30% more is what we'll pay. And I'm like, I, well, you think I can be bought? Like, I, I didn't understand at all. And, um, and, and really my first thought was, why in the world would I move with, because I love my neighbors and I love the people that God's given them to me, mm -hmm. you know? And I think part of the reason that that dynamic has happened is because we've said, we're going to die in Lexington. So yeah. I'm, I'm not trying to like 
bind your conscience. I'm just trying to provide a model uh, for, to, to make you at least question the mobility that's already implicit in you because it's in our culture. So. Yeah. What about, um, so staying put, but what about, what are some other solutions you feel like, we talked about like pulling into your driveway and just, you know, into your garage. And what, what are some other, what are some ways that maybe you can make connections? The vulnerability one that, yes. that you all were talking about, like they say the common things like how's your day and they say good and the really practical thing is just to ask why. Yeah. Like, oh, like why's your day going good? Yeah. And usually I ask that question probably fifteen times a day. And specific are super super flustered. Nobody, <laughs> nobody asks them why their day's going well. Specific and, and thoughtful. Okay, good. And, th and that gets at the awkwardness, too, of, like, risk risk being awkward. Um. I was going to say, I mean, sometimes it does feel a little strange and creepy, but, like, if I see my neighbors out, I'm like, our kids, get your shoes on, go. Like, yeah. Let's go play. Let's go, go play. Across the street. Like, yes. Say hello. Like, you know, it, especially, I feel like, in the wintertime, if we have a nice day of weather, like, just whatever is inside can wait. We can just... Just go be outside. Someone else will come along that we can say hello to. And sometimes it does feel a little weird, a little creepy, but. Well, and someone else said, like, opening your blinds it is part yeah. of that counteracting that privacy. And it might seem creepy, but you might start noticing things about your neighbors. Not that you're sitting there watching, but, like, you may see, like, oh, they had a boyfriend, and now that boyfriend's gone. And. Uh, I wonder if they went through a breakup, and not that you're being nosy, but you're just going to be, you're just exposing yourself to their lives more, and you might have a connection point. Being yeah. less private, yeah. So, so taking a page out of buzzer to make, make a bait good. And yes, yeah. food is huge. I do that. Rose, I'm, I'm a creepy neighbor. I watch, oh, no, I'm not. But I like to bake. That's one of the things I like to do. So if I see somebody new, I'll go over and knock on their door, and I'll say, hi. I'm Sarah. I noticed you're new in the neighborhood. Here's some cookies. Yes. Welcome. Share. Like, Sharing your abundance. Yeah. Yes. I had a neighbor share with me baked goods, but also some plants. She was, she was um, what do you call that? Um, dividing. dividing. And she just came over and shared with me like the first month we lived there. You had a dog. Dogs. Yeah. Dogs. Yeah. Preferably a really cute dog. Yeah. Walk. Yeah, walk. Dog, catch your dog. Yes. And then you have to walk the dog twice a day. Yes, no, that's no, huge. No. Our neighborhood doesn't get out much. Yes. But when you walk your dog and you yep. stop at neighbors and they stop and say hi and they want to catch your dog, and it's a huge yeah. mechanism. We've met a lot of people <laughs> walking our dog. That's good. Is, That's really good. This isn't inadvertent, but we accidentally leave our garage door open all the time. <laughs> and so our neighbors will come over and knock on the door and be like, hey, you, you noticed you left your garage door open. And that's an opportunity to just interact and be like, thank you. Ah, oh, I see how it works. I see how it works. Well, you know, really, that, that hits at a really being big a disaster one. Of a human you being, <laughs> being okay with needs. I think. Need is a huge, well that is a great segue. So uh, we have neighbors who have chickens and I can't tell you how many times I have needed an egg and been too embarrassed to go ask and say I need, I, you know, I'm just, it's like, it's like the, our culture, we, we live in a culture where it, 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 it's kind of weird if you're always needy or you need something or you're vulnerable. So it's like overcoming that barrier 
to let your neighbors meet your needs and meet your neighbors' needs. Um, somebody in the other one shared, like if someone's moving in, like going and helping. And you know, they might think that's creepy or weird or you're being too friendly, but that is a great way to like meet a need that they have if you can go over and help in some way. Um, but meeting a need and being inviting others into those needs is huge. Ask a neighbor for help, yeah. Um, I think this kind of goes with commit to an area, but I think like committing to businesses or places oh, that yeah. you go like all the time, and this is a little bit beyond like the scope of what we're talking about here, but I feel really committed to the Euclid Kroger. Yes. It's like my place. The deli lady and I have become really good <laughs> friends. I go like usually during her shift. So that's one way that like, I mean, she doesn't necessarily live right beside me, but I'm thinking, I'm even thinking of places around my house that I could probably be a little bit more committed to and yes. interact with the people who like work there and who probably live near me too. That's really good. Okay, well these are all really, really good. Um, I'm gonna share a quick story. Um, we've got, what, 236. Um, I also wanna say this. I want to say this, being patient through that awkwardness, because I was thinking when I wrote this story, I was remembering this couple that has started, this family that started opening up their homes for game night. Um, so we've lived in our house for three years, and it's, it's taken that long, I think, for this to really happen. Um, but we just went down there like every Friday night in, Feb in January, they were like, you guys can come over. They invited all the neighbors over for game night. And where we, li where we live downtown is a street that like all the houses are really close together, so it's just really compact. And you just really get, it's easier to get to know your neighbors because we're also, you know, physically close to one another. But we had, um, was that, what was that picnic that we had after that little piano concert? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we had this little piano concert with some of our neighbors because one of the neighbors teaches piano and my daughter Eden takes piano from her. And there's a couple other kids that play piano. So we had this summer little piano concert. Um, at my neighbor's house, but she wanted to have like a little picnic afterwards and she asked me if I would host it in the backyard. So it was about four different families and we hosted this picnic in our backyard and it was so awkward. I mean, it was just like everyone was standing around, like we had food and we were kind of eating, but it was like, it just like conversation did not happen. And I remember just like being like, oh man, that was so awkward and hard. And that's the same group of people that we just had game night with <laughs> like this week and had a blast. And so it's just like pushing through that awkwardness of getting to know your neighbors and the fears of rejection um, is big, is really big. But the other big one that I wanted to share, I think a big barrier for me in getting to know my neighbors, I talked to you guys about like was labeling and just the assumptions, my assumptions of what they thought of me and my assumptions of them. Um, so I would encourage you all with that. Um, I really think that it's from a place of knowing God's love for me and being having the comfort of the Father's love for me that and, and for all of us that we can move into those awkward places and know that we stand on a foundation of Christ's love and his righteousness being ours that we can fear rejection when we reach out and we can fear being the creepy neighbor you know because we can come back to who God says we are in Christ and we have that we have that comfort we have that assurance and we have that confidence that rock to stand on and that's you know the love that we can go out with and the confidence that we can go out with encouraged we want to have do you want to have question and answer time or no yeah <laughs> <laughs> you wanted to say a couple things yeah okay. okay no uh, go ahead go ahead 
I think it's good. Yeah, yeah so there's just really like, okay, now what? Um, th there's really three things. There's nothing magical about these three things. We want to know our neighbor's names. So I want to go, uh, that's where Mark lives. This is where Ricky lives. This is where Brian lives. This is where Aaron lives. This is where Sean and Rebecca lives. Uh, the, you know, and then uh, I have, I do a, I, I'm a index card prayer kind of person. <coughs> I've got a neighbor card that I pray for every Wednesday. I pray for my neighbors, and it's crazy uh, how you begin to see God at work uh, in your neighbors. Then start asking you questions. You start seeing needs that you wouldn't have seen before. It's where the magic really happens. Um, so uh, know, know their names, uh, pray for them, and hospitality. Have them in your home. You, uh, nothing tops that. Jesus was always uh, leaving a meal, at a meal, or going to one. And uh, we would do well to follow his example. So, um, and, and one last kind of thought. Uh, you know, John 1.14 is what um, is really where the, a lot of this is grounded. Uh, the word became flesh and dwelled among us. That word dwell could be translated tabernacled. Okay, it comes from the Old Testament. God wanted to become more accessible to his people. And so he said, my presence is going to be held in the Ark of the Covenant. In the Ark of the Covenant, you're going to put in a tent, and you're going to carry this tent around with you in the desert so that I will be accessible to you. God just keeps being accessible to his people by saying, hey, you're going to have priests. They're going to be holy among you like I am holy. You're going to have prophets among you that's, that are communicating my words to you so that you can know who I am. You're going to have kings that are going to rule among you, uh, hopefully in a way that in a way in which I rule. So he just wants to communicate to his people what he's like because he wants to be accessible to them. And then John 1.14 busts on the scenes. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, became accessible. And now uh, Christ becomes accessible to our neighbors because he now lives in us. He doesn't live in a box. You're not a priest. You're not a prophet. You're not a king. And neither am I. Uh, but we do have his spirit inside of us. And what makes God accessible, what makes God communicable to our neighbors is his spirit living his life through us. So, um, any, It's been a full day. I know you guys have been, like, really patient and yeah. the information. <laughs> uh, so any, any questions or comments before we're done? The, yes. First, first uh, dying in Lexington is not such a big deal for me. Um, <laughs> it is for you, I realize. <laughs> One thing I would add to your first list is your race. The barriers. Never assume that your neighbor is not watching you. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's a great one. Yeah. That you're, yeah, yeah. Being above reproach, that's a good one. Somebody said in the last one, kind of in regards to the backyard privacy, like, hang out in your front yard. That's a huge one for us. Like, we spend more time in our front yard now because we just get to talk to our neighbors more. Well, the um, Rosario Butterfield was mentioned in um, yeah. Q&A. I forgot the name of the book. The subtitle is The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Oh, yes. And it's all about hospitality. Yeah. And one of the things, I don't know if it's in that book or another one, that she said, and it depends on kind of your neighborhood and your, the way your yards line up, but instead of barbecuing in the back, where you're cloistered, put it in the front yard, let, let the smoke fill the neighborhood, put on some extra meat. Yeah. Oh, wow. He says, what are you doing? Come on over. Yeah, That's yeah, awesome. Yeah. You know, chill a few extra beers. Yeah. That's awesome. 
Yeah, and you invite, you're disinviting maybe some uncomfortability into your life, and um, you never know how that might bless you. Um, well, thanks, guys. Is there anything else anybody want to share that we could learn from? Okay. There's so many. Um, thanks for listening. Um, I'll pray for us. Oh, you got one? No. Okay. I'll pray for us, and we'll go. Um, Father, thank you that you came for us, um, that you moved into the most uncomfortable of places for you, and you sacrificed um, everything that you had, um, your most precious thing, um, your relationship with God the Father. Thank you, Jesus, for that and for coming for us and dying for us. And I pray that it is that um, that would fill us, um, that it's your sacrificial love for us that would fill us um, and that we would overflow in love for our neighbors. Um, that we would um, just be recipients of your grace that just pour it out into others' lives. And God, help us um, to see, God, those opportunities um, to extend grace and love to those around us and help us in those uncomfortable places to be patient and bear that uncomfortableness and awkwardness and, um, and, and to really see that as an opportunity um, to invite others into our lives. Um, we thank you so much um, that you give us the power to do that. And um, so thank you for this conference. Um, we praise your name. Amen. Amen.